Hello, friends. Thank you so much for listening to Bad Notes, produced by me, L. David Hessler. This episode's mixtape guest is Black Moth. Find more of their work at www.themothpit.co.uk or get updates on facebook.com slash themothpit as they record a new album. And be sure to stick around until the very end of this episode to hear the latest news from our magical sponsor, Orb Industries. In 1996, after nearly two decades spent touring the American Midwest with his heavy metal band Starfed, cult guitar hero Orrin Moon disappeared without a trace. Despite dozens of distraught fans, the music industry barely noticed his absence. While law enforcement assumed Moon had simply fled the country or joined a religious commune, for nearly two more decades, the true story went untold. Then, in early 2016, a music journalist for National Independent Radio received an unmarked package that contained over 200 dated microcassettes with a handwritten letter that read, This is the story of Orrin Moon. He was an amazing musician, a loving father, and the best demon slayer the world never knew. Created by L. David Hessler. Part 7. Buses. Always have. It's a thing, I guess. I had this friend in middle school. He'd bring a book with him every time we took a field trip. Bastard would sit there in the very back of the bus and read the whole time. Never got sick. But me? Might as well have strapped me to a paint mixer. The up and down, the left and right, the unsteady rumbling and jolting. I was like a soda can in the middle of summer. Instant vomit, every time. I told the quiet one I was sorry, but that I might blow chunks on him again. He shook his head and pointed at the restroom door near the back of the bus. The whole vehicle had been converted into a tour bus. Along the driver's side of the bus was a kitchenette, a breakfast nook, and two bunk beds. On the passenger side was a crescent-shaped couch and coffee table adorned with the largest boombox I'd ever seen, another set of bunk beds, and the restroom. 
Beyond the restroom was another door, but it was unclear what purpose it served. There was what might have once been a stop sign hanging on that last door. Mel asked Alonzo where we were going. North, he said. But, but where? He gripped the steering wheel with both hands. His fingers were like curls of rebar. He glanced over his shoulder and said, We gotta find a friend. She asked about her uncle, and Alonzo sighed. We don't know where he is, Mel. That's why we have to find this friend. Mel wandered away from him and took a seat at the crescent table. She stared through the window at the growing night outside. She pressed her forehead against the glass and said, My whole family is gone. The quiet one offered her a plastic cup of coffee. She took it, but I don't think she ever tasted it. I sat next to her and the quiet one gave me my own cup. The coffee tasted like burnt toast soaked in vinegar. I tried to make conversation with the men who were either our saviors or our kidnappers. It was still too early to tell one way or the other. So, this bus, I said, annoyed by the uncertainty in my own voice. It's nice? Mel and the quiet one glared at me. Alonzo chuckled. It's a shitbox, he said, but it gets the job done. The friend we're going to see, he let us borrow it for a while. He glanced at us again and took a deep breath. I guess you want some answers, huh? Mel nodded. It'd be nice, she said. Alonzo stared out at the highway, peering through the windshield like he hoped to see something out there. He said, It's complicated. We got time, Mel said. Alonzo nodded and shifted gears. He said, The ripped hippie is Pony. Don't call him Tony, though. He really hates that. Pony swept some silver hair out of his face and smiled. He offered to shake my hand, and I noticed for the first time that there were jagged scars along the length of his inner forearm, like someone had raked a piece of glass along the flesh from his wrist to his elbow. I took his hand, and it felt like a throbbing cold stone in mine. His touch was frigid. He shook Mel's hand, and I could tell by the expression on her face that she'd felt the same thing as me. It was like he'd walked right out of a meat locker. Mel looked at me, then at Pony. She said, Nice to meet you. Pony doesn't talk, Alonzo said. He has no tongue. Pony shrugged and gave us a thumbs up. Get the box, Alonzo told his friend. Pony disappeared into that room in the far end of the bus. He came back holding a cigar box in his hands. It was yellowing like old newspaper that's been left in the sun for too long. He slid it across the crescent table and gestured for Mel to look inside. What is it? she asked. For a moment, all we could hear was the rumble of the highway passing beneath us, roaring away into the night, like it was screaming at us to slow down, or to go faster, to do something. It's a tape from your dad, Alonzo said. The weight of the words felt like bags of sand thrown across our shoulders. I watched Mel cower at the syllables. He was a smart man, your dad. He always knew this day would come. What day, she asked. The day you learned the truth about your family.
your dad shared something pretty unique, Alonzo said. Pony had removed a regular black cassette tape from the cigar box and was inserting it into the boombox's tape deck. We, um, we both have a soft spot for red-headed women? She tried to smile and must have remembered the gravity of the situation. Birthdays, he said. 
Our our birthdays are in June and February. They're not the same at all. Not the date, he said. The day of the week. Do you remember what day of the week you were born? What the hell, she asked, shaking her head and slapping a hand on the coffee table. Why are we going on about birthdays? You just burned two bodies on the highway back there. Fair enough, he said. Ladies and gentlemen of Bolivar, Missouri, make some noise for Orin Moon. Pony pressed play on the boombox. Nothing happened. He pressed it again, over and over. Nothing played. Alonzo glanced over his shoulder. Pony, did you grab the wrong box? Pony shook his head furiously and pointed at the cigar box. And then, when none of us was anywhere close to the tape deck, it began playing. But the voice didn't belong to Mel's dad. It was the voice of... Sitting pretty in the little black room. Brothers next. <laughs> then we take mommy. Oh, nothing good happens in the little black room, girl. Time's wasted. Give us the bastard or die. grotesque voice squelched over the speakers of the boombox. It sounded as if someone was adjusting the speed of the playback, warping it so it was slower, then faster, then slower again. The voice was never quite clear enough to pinpoint anything other than just being monstrous. It started cackling, and the volume spiked. Alonzo screamed for Pony to throw the whole thing out the window. Pony shook his head, glaring at Mel. The desperation on his face was unmistakable. He didn't want her to miss the message from her dad. But that laughter from the tape player was just unbearable. It filled the bus like scalding steam and choked out the roar of the engine. And then Mel moved. She moved like a soldier, like she'd trained her whole life for this kind of atrocity. She clutched the tape player with both hands and I swear there was smoke, like like it was burning her or she was burning it. I, I don't know. But, but she held it above her head for a moment, then heaved it out of the window above the table. Glass exploded out into the night and danced along the outside of the bus. That laughter faded as the tape player disappeared behind us. She stared at her hands, which were red and cracked. Pony gazed at her as if she'd performed some kind of elaborate magic trick. Alonso struggled to focus on the highway. How the hell did it get in here? It shouldn't have been able to do that, Pony. What the hell? What was that? Mel asked. Who, who was it? Who kidnapped my dad? 
Alonzo pulled the bus off onto the shoulder and pressed his glistening forehead against the steering wheel for several moments, breathing heavily and gripping the dash with both hands. Finally, he stood and approached us like, like he had to deliver some kind of tragic news about our families. I guess, in a way, he did. He took a deep breath and held Mel by the shoulders. That was a demon, he said glancing at Pony and then at the door with the stop sign. And yeah, yeah, it has your dad. It's taken him prisoner. Well, what are you talking about, she asked. It's a demon named Murmur, Alonzo said. It's a mimicking demon. It's taking your family members one by one. Why? Because it wants you. It's trying to bait you, Mel. Look, I'm sorry, but we don't have time for this. He asked if the thing in the coffin had visited us. We exchanged worried glances. I said, yeah, it, it came to my apartment and then I think it broke into Mel's. Did it touch either one of you? He asked. No, I said. Mel shook her head. You're sure? It must have dawned on us at the same time because Mel and I both looked at each other and then at the pocket of her jacket. She took a deep breath and wouldn't make eye contact with Alonzo. I, I, I touched it, she said, and I put it in a bag. She pulled the sandwich bag out and held it in front of Alonzo's face so we could see the zombie finger rolling aimlessly in the nest of weed. He squinted at the severed digit, his lips curling in disgust. I'll give it to you, she said, glancing at both Pony and Alonzo. But you have to do something for me, okay? I need you to tell me what the hell is happening. Thanks so much for listening to Bad Notes. Be sure to support this week's excellent mixtape guest, Black Moth, by visiting themothpit.co.uk. You can support Bad Notes on patreon.com slash ldavidhessler or by donating through the Satchel podcast app. The unexpected voice of Murmur, the mimicking demon, was provided by Joe Garwood. The Bad Notes intro music is by Ethan Mikesell. Find his full catalog of music at ethanmikesell.com. The National Independent Radio Voice is provided by Adam Martins. If you like the sound of grown men giggling about absurd superheroes, then check out my other show, The B-Mega Podcast, at megatoncitynews.com. You can also find more of my fiction at ldavidhessler.com. And now... A word from our sponsor, Orb Industries.
Storing personal information has been a challenge throughout the ages. From weathered cave drawings to delicate cassette tapes to easily hackable digital software, humanity has always suffered in its search to store valuable information. The Orb Industries Emporium for Unencumbered Thoughts offers an easy solution. Magic. With the help of a trained wizard and a few ancient incantations, you can send encrypted globules of your own mind into the yawning void of space and time, where they will float unhindered and alone until the great chasm finally collapses. And by the time that happens, you'll have no need for memories or thoughts or dreams. Orb Industries where information lives eternal.